Okay, I'm dying to know about this book that's sitting on my own table that I haven't started yet, She mm, Said, and yeah. I know that you've read it. Yeah, I have. Okay, what, what's the gist? It is She Said, Breaking the Sexual Harassment Story That Helped Ignite a Movement by Jodie Cantor and Megan Twohey. Twohey? Do you think? Do you think that would be pronounced Tui? <laughs> Tui. Tui. It, I think it's Tui. Okay, Tui. I think you're over carting things. <laughs> um, yeah, so as soon as I saw that Jodie Cantor had written a book I, uh, about um, their, the New York Times reportage of the Harvey Weinstein allegations, Steenstein. have we arrived at a... Let's call the whole yeah, exactly. thing off. <laughs> yeah. um, so, because I, I heard her do a podcast um, not long after that story was published, where she talked about what a real, what a, like an incredible battle it was to get all of these women that they were talking to to put their names to the allegations to be the women who actually brought this Weinstein thing into the open when it was kind of a thing that everybody talked about, and um, she said something that I always remembered which was that these women who had been uh, transgressed against in some cases very grievously by Weinstein all felt look and this is the ultimate injustice of sexual harassment uh, in most of its forms why do I have to be the person that's now in charge of fixing this guy like Mm. why do I have to why do I now have to having sustained the injury of the behavior why do I now have to sustain a further injury to my career, to my peace of mind by taking this active step to um, accuse him and to weather Mm. all of the fallout that will ensue? And, I mean, that's actually a really good question. And so so I fell into and began feasting on this book as soon as it appeared on my my, uh, field of vision. Um, and it is such a great lesson in journalism just reading about um, how they went about painstakingly recruiting these women, finding them, um, and some of them were incredibly well hidden. And one of the really interesting things that emerges from their investigation for the New York Times is that there's this whole subculture of harassment and the way big companies dealt with harassment allegations that was shielding, that was like a, a, like a subterranean hidden movement, which was that um, Harvey Weinstein um, at his company or um, um, Roger Ailes at Fox would harass some woman and they would accept a payout in return for their absolute silence. Right. And these um, non-disclosure agreements would be unbelievably broad, mm. including um, that the woman would um, be obliged to repay the money if a third party discovered or reported what had happened. You know, it's just unbelievable. So it was like justice completely buried Mm. and really i mean along with the sort of like the super injunction movement in britain like it's the most pernicious form of um justice it's just throwing money at a problem to bury it and to then threaten 
um, the person who was subjected to the behaviour such that they, you know, would withstand the approaches of even the most determined journalists. It's fascinating because a lot of this stuff is outside what we traditionally consider to be justice because it's also the case for people who are accused. Yep. Like, so I think we've talked about before, I can't remember from the podcast or just me and you, about Louis C.K. Yeah. So what is the appropriate punishment? Because the court's not determining it. Is the punishment that he should never work ever again? He should Mm -hmm. never be allowed to make a living again from comedy? Is there a set period of time? Because if you you, um, commit an actual crime, you do your time and then society allows you. So are we saying what Louis C.K. has done is worse than a murder? Mm -hmm. Because people get out for murder. Mm -hmm. Like, So I find that fascinating, the idea that – for everybody, it's outside it's of jump justice. The tracks of justice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. Um, oh, it's, it, there's so many moving parts to this whole drama, but the book is great. Like, it's really. So, is it is it a TikTok about how they pull yeah, it together? Essentially, right? Yeah, and it kind of um, because Megan Tui Tui Tui, <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. Um, she did a lot of the reporting on Trump as well, so it kind of weaves in and out. Of, oh, how yeah. interesting! So um, somebody else said to me, it's like really pacey, like a thriller. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's, great. Uh, it okay. is unputdownable. Yeah, it's really it. like I'm really. Um, uh, I haven't quite finished it, but I'm um, really gripped by Powering it. Yeah, it. Okay, absolutely. Well, that's why I've brought home. And the it hard fills copy. in so many gaps as well. Anyway, and, and in the end, I just think. It actually makes me feel a bit sad reading it because, um, I mean, what I loved about the podcast that I remember telling you about when I listened to it, um, I think it was like a Slate podcast that um, Jodie Cantor did back um, quite soon after the reporting. She said that in the end, one of the things that got these women over the line was that the New York Times had been – really front foot on reporting on sexual harassment. And, you know, they had gone and done special investigations as like Silicon Valley. They'd done – that, and they had absolutely pissed off, you know, um, uh, companies that advertised with the New York Times. I mean, like they'd absolutely put their money where their mouth was on making – reporting sexual harassment and making it a big deal. And so that – solid body of reporting and the editorial line that the paper had taken did prove quite um, influential yeah. in bringing these women over the line. Um, and so um, what you're left with, I think, is this sense of I just the determination that the two of them show is so impressive and it's also a great lesson in how much you can do as a reporter if your newspaper backs you in Mm. and also gives you the time and space. I mean, like, they've gone all over the place. It's taken months and months and months and months and months of sometimes getting nowhere. Mm. And there's this moment where – so their editor is regularly checking in on them and there's this point where they all go and have a, like a, a beer somewhere and they've got all of these plates spinning, you know, and they've, they've talked to Gwyneth Paltrow, they've got like, you know, um, they've got all of these actresses that they are kind of trying to coax over the line. But then their editor just says, you do not have a single thing that is able to be printed right now. Oh. And it's just, it's so galling because you know how much how much detail they have and how much 
trust they've won, but it's also just not enough. And so mm. it is this thriller in the in the Watergate sense where you're just like, there's definitely something here they know. And this guy is just hiding in plain sight. And there's this one moment too where um, Megan Tui. 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 They interview Weinstein about something else and it's completely, it's this dramatic moment where um, they're asking him about, oh, because he's done this fundraiser and then just grabbed $600,000 of the money raised for this AIDS charity and sunk it into this documentary film that he's making. Like it's a total Swifty. <clears throat> and they're interviewing him about that. And then afterwards, and then the editor said, like, you cannot raise this other stuff with him at this time. And then out in the lobby afterwards, they're just sort of milling around. And he says to her, oh, you know, I know you've heard a lot of bad things about me, but, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm even worse. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, great book. Oh, God, that sounds awesome. Yeah, you're going to love it. to read it. The, um, just speaking of, like, backing people, sometimes I think for a really realistic book about journalism, you need to basically write that book and then the yarn doesn't get up. The ending would be that the yarn doesn't get up because oh that's like most yep. yarns do not sure. end with Harvey Weinstein or do not end with um, Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Most yarns end with that you do it all and you can't make it stand up or the lawyers go, oh sorry, God. we know it's true but you just can't run it. Um, speaking of which, did you happen to catch Michelle Williams' speech at the Emmys? No. So, oh, it was really good. So she won for um, uh, Fosse Verdon, which was about Bob Fosse and Gwen oh, yeah. Verdon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which um, I Totally should watch, yeah. Do you know what? I lost interest. I watched two what? episodes and, yeah, I know. Bob should Fossey, have been what? so far up my alley. I would have thought that would be no. wedged up your bracket. Yeah, I did, I did not get so that into speak. it. It wasn't enough dancing for my taste. Um, so <laughs> she gave this awesome speech where she said, I just want to thank the people who made this film for backing my judgment in. When I said that I needed extra dance lessons, they said, sure. When I said I needed extra voice lessons, they said, sure. When I said, can I have a different pair of false teeth, they said, sure. Mm. They understood what I needed to do to be able to play Gwen Verdon. And so can I encourage employers, when you have a woman on your staff who says, I need XYZ to do my job, please trust them and believe in them and please um, pay them, you know, equal money, what they deserve. Anyway, she said it much better than I just did. It was absolutely fantastic. Wow. Oh, okay. It was a great speech. Oh, okay. I'll go back and watch that. Good. Um, I just – because we were talking about sexual harassment – uh, now is my moment to reveal that I recently read. You recently harassed somebody. What? No, I did not. <laughs> I did ABC really Fat Cat feels up intern. Yeah. I, I did not feel up an intern, <laughs> Lisa Ailes. Nor do I have an intern. I mean, do you have an intern? Do you no. have an intern? Right. No. Um, but I read this book called The Whisper Network, which yeah. is a kind of like, um, look, I would describe it as um, – Total Moriarty fallout, right? What it's do you mean? Kind of, do you know, like Leanne Moriarty, yeah, who oh. is a brilliant writer and mm -hmm. massively successful. I reckon the world is populated with people who are, you know, want to be Leanne Moriarty, trying to write a Leanne Moriarty uh, book. Yeah, sure, of course. And it's got this book, The Whisper Network. Um, I mean, it's written by a woman called Chandler Baker, which I find distracting because it's like two medieval. 
uh, occupations in one name. Like a chandler is like a saddler maker, like a person who makes saddles, right? Am I right? So you're feeling like it could also I'm be like, Baker Chandler. I know, it? right? Yeah. Or like Taylor, you know, Scrivener. <laughs> Taylor Baker. Taylor Scrivener. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Taylor Scrivener. Hi. Scrivener Baker. Scrivener Baker. <laughs> Hi, my name's... Uh... Hi, my name's Scrivener. Butcher. Scrivener Baker. <laughs> now I'm running out of medieval occupations. What's, what are the ones torturer. that make candles? Oh, the who name's makes the Annabelle candles? Torturer. <laughs> um, who makes candles? Um, candle make, candlestick maker? Butcher the Baker, the candlestick maker. Who's, uh, who's the dude with the anvil? That's a... Uh... <laughs> well, he's, is it an anvil person? Would be a shoe person or a horse person, right? Or just a blacksmith. <laughs> Anyway, Hi, I'm totally off track. Baker Blacksmith. So ridiculous. Anyway, Chandler Baker um, has written like a very creditable <laughs> thriller about, you know, look, it's about a law firm and there's these three women, maybe there's four, I can't remember, um, and there's this sort of like asshole who's the kind of, you know, managing partner and he's a sort of a jerk who's kind of felt everybody up and I don't know, he – you know, in a sort of Leanne Moriarty fashion, there's a death, you know, there's a death. Right. Who's died, right. we don't know. And it's sort of interviews with people, it cuts in and out of police mm. interviews. It's such a, like. So did you, you're giving me the vibe like you didn't really like it. Oh, no, you you seem a little contemptuous. I rocked through it. Okay. And the whole time I was just thinking, Leanne Moriarty, you've done a big right. thing for the world. Like, right. I mean, it, I'm probably just unfairly introducing the author like maybe she was onto it before leanne moriarty was oh but is like chandler just... baker a woman I think yes, she... that's right Scrivener <laughs> <laughs> okay. ah. is in fact a woman oh god this is all gonna have to be bloody... it's, you like, it's, it's gonna happen it's you're, about to get like, a I mean, you're about to get a tweet from at chandler baker I to know. say look thanks for being part of I my name thoroughly enjoyed the book it is kind of gripping and you're kind of like oh who did it and what's happened next and there's like a totally a twist on every page so if you're in the if you're and i often am um if you're in the market for a, like a twisty turny kind of you know rocks along <laughs> and you know like the moriarty oeuvre it is populated by women you know which is right. not something that you necessarily got 20 years ago right so okay, um mainly i'm just amused by chandler baker that's all <laughs> and that's all i have to say but anyway i read that i read that Good. and i enjoyed it Excellent. Good tonight. If you enjoy Chat 10, you can visit it. Well, that's going well. <laughs> if you enjoy Chat 10, you can visit it. <laughs> what my friend is trying to say is if you enjoy Chat 10, you can visit our website, www.chat10looks3.com. What are we actually saying? I can't remember. No, no, keep going. Like, this is gold. Keep it going. <laughs> Okay, visit, visit our website. You can follow us on iTunes and leave a review. Um, our website, Chat 10 Looks 3, just Google it, you'll get there. We've got a link called Bedside Table where you can buy books. Sometimes we have merchandise. You can download the podcast. Um, it's about it, isn't it? Follow it's us fabulous. on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. You're the greatest. You're so good at this. Hey, you know how I always bang on about Queer Eye? And how I like yes, Queer you Eye. Do. And yeah. you've never watched Queer Eye, have you? Look, I did years and years and years ago. I haven't read, I haven't watched anything of you, it. If recently. you watched it years ago, you wouldn't have watched it with the current cast, which I Probably think not. is really, okay. um, I think they're 
awesome and yeah, I no, love you've said that the vibe regularly of it. and I probably need to just So Jonathan Van Ness, who um again, I think I've said in the past that I didn't When I first started watching Queer Eye with the current cast, I didn't love Jonathan Van Ness. He's the very camp, valley girl sort of vibe. Right. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I was like, oh, my God, like that sort of vibe. He has long, glossy, beautiful hair and um, a moustache and beard and he's a really very stylish and uniquely stylish guy. Okay. Um, I found him a bit like in the first couple of episodes – Wow, you are just too over the top for me. Yeah. But I have come to absolutely love him. Yeah, because he – the level of care and attention, this is, I know I've said this before in the podcast, the level of care he pays to people and how closely he listens to what they're saying and how about how they feel about themselves mm. and how he doesn't, he never shows the slightest hint of judgment and he never makes anyone feel bad about themselves. He makes them feel good about themselves. He's really amazing. So, for example, someone might come on with really terrible skin Mm. and he won't raise it, but they might say, I'm embarrassed about my skin. And he'll go, well, we've got stuff we can do for that. Here, let me put this moisturiser on. And he just slaps his hand straight on them. He doesn't flinch or show any sign that he's repulsed by their skin or whatever. Mm. He'll slap something on them and go... "You, you know, you're a beautiful person and you deserve to feel beautiful and blah, blah. Like he's just, he's absolutely amazing. Anyway, he has um, participated in a profile in the New York Times where he's revealed that he's living with HIV um, and he talks a lot about his uh, just growing up and background and 20s and and stuff like that. I mean, man, he's had a really, as you might guess from how I've described him, hard life where he's been bullied. He was a cheerleader at school, bullied, um, didn't really fit in. Mm. I think it's – and then had a period of heavy drug taking and just risky behaviour and has somehow sort of come out of it and landed on Queer Eye. Um, He's a remarkable person and I felt really sad reading the article about what he'd been through and I felt like it explains why he has so much empathy and lack of judgment around people and is so accepting. But I also found it astonishing that given the lack of acceptance that he's experienced in his life that he's managed to come Mm. out of it and be like he is. Um, So, yeah, I just... Okay, I just love I want to guy. read that immediately. I just love him. Okay. He's, he's a fantastic human being. Um, so, yeah, I recommend it. And Queer Eye. Yeah, all right. Well, cool. I, need to re, I need to re-watch that. Just um, watch it on the plane or something when you're on it. Like watch yeah, okay. it when stakes are low, right? Yeah. When you've got nothing to do no, and no, it's no, just I mean, there. Like, yeah. I know that I've watched that show and like immediately got straight into it. Yeah. But I think I do have a thing where I think, oh, I can't get into these series because I just end up, you know. Queer Eye, you could dip in at any time and watch any one episode. And just now that I've – I mean, all of the guys on that show I think are similar to Jonathan Van Ness, but he's particularly striking. But just now that I've said that about him, just – just watch how he deals with people and how unbelievable – like the the attention he pays to people is – and how carefully he listens to what people say I think is really something. Okay, I'm going to do it. Um, I th- that actually reminds me of um, this book that I read. Actually, it had been sitting on my bedside table for a little bit, and um, <laughs> I was at this women's lunch thing, women's weekly lunch, um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, I met this young woman, and absolutely beautiful. Um, 19 year old or so like quite young and I was looking I was thinking I've met you or you're really familiar to me and um 
After about a minute, I realised why she was familiar because her face is on the cover of this book that's on my bedside table, oh. right? And her name's Georgie Stone. And she is um, she's an actress and she is on Neighbours presently, right? Anyway, just one of those people we sort of meet and she's completely warm and, you know, we started chatting straight away. And I we our new friendship even survived the revelation that I had not read the book yet. <laughs> but anyway, the, I then went back and started reading the book straight away that night after I met her. And um, it's called About a Girl. And so um, Georgie's story is kind of um, – quite amazing. She's had a, a, over her young life. Um, the book is written by her mum who um, tells the story of giving birth to twin boys and then um, realising like, quite early on that one of her sons um, was just like, hey, there's, there's some sort of error. I'm not actually a boy, I'm a girl. And so um, – and that kid really was from the get-go absolutely implacably very certain about who she was, right? Yeah. And so the book is the story of how the parents dealt with this and more significantly and more traumatically like how they dealt with schools and how they dealt with the legal system because yeah. even though, you know, any kind of like, oh, are you a bit mixed up or like what's going on? Is this just a phase kind of thing? Was absolutely exhausted as a possibility really early on because this kid was just like completely formed as an identity mm. and just massively confused by this hardware that she yeah. had going on, right? And she's like, well, you know, what's going to happen with this penis thing? Like I won't be needing that when I grow up as a woman. Um, anyway, and so it is this quite a beautiful book because it involves a lot of hardship and particularly this kind of crazy legal hoops that they had to jump through um, to, for instance, have um, hormones to delay puberty in this kid who's like a girl who's like, I do not want to get an Adam's apple and like broad shoulders and a beard and a deep voice because that stuff's irreversible. Mm. And so the stuff that they went through um, in the family court is quite extraordinary. And, in fact, she was a leading case in the family court. Um, So you kind of – hearing this story from the family, uh, from the intimacy of a family, and then crashing into the way the rest of the world saw it because when her case was in the family court, it was called re-Jamie. It was a very celebrated case. It was controversial and it was reported, you know, like, youngest ever sex change, you know, whatever. Um, Anyway, I got to the end of the book and um, was full of, respect for um all of the people in that family but also just felt like geez you know such a triumph of love and devotion and um faithfulness and constancy and courage and all of those old-fashioned qualities you know to stand around this kid who never ever had any other version of the truth Mm. other than the one that she was born with. Mm. And anyway, it's sort of like one of those books that probably should be handed out to anyone who's kind of uh, like 
I've just been thinking as you're talking a bit like the Australian dream, like you sort of just wish that everyone would read that and just like with an open mind and then every time they read something in the paper on these issues, just bear it in mind. Like not saying change your mind about it or whatever, but just like it's good to know other people's stories in detail. Yeah, and I think that too – Oh, you know, this whole like transgender kids in schools, which toilets is everyone going to use? You know, like you sort of um, to to read, I don't know, I, I guess because maybe historically you like there's a view that, um, you know, transgender kids are something scary or, you know, weird or mysterious or threatening or whatever, like to read about the experience that this kid has is there's no scariness about it. Basically, you know, the kid has no uncertainty at all about mm. who she was. And um, I think the and un- also even being transgender is not even the biggest thing in her life. Like it's just a mm. – I know. think too the idea that um, – you know, sometimes with the more hysterical reporting, it's like, um, well, people are being brainwashed into wanting to be like, no, actually, when you right. um, learn about these things, um, it's usually a very painful journey for people that are on this, the families and the people involved, because it's hard um, and you feel not accepted and all manner of different things that come into play. Um, it's not so easy as you just go, yeah, you know what, I'm bored of being a girl, I want to be a boy. Like it just does not work like that at all. Yeah, and I think that um, if if you if you follow this particular journey, like those sorts of comments just seem so completely off beam, like they're just not even in the same universe as the experience of this family. That's and- why I just feel like with – watching and learning about some of these people's experiences like something that really disturbs me sometimes in our society is the lack of empathy like people have a lot of opinions about stuff that they know nothing about and I frankly know nothing about either of those um subjects I just raised that that are around this book or around the Australian dream Mm. I I don't have first-hand experience of either of those things um but I'd like to think that I'm an empathetic human being and that I can listen to yeah. what people have been through and then hopefully learn from that. And what I worry about sometimes is I think people have comments and they haven't really taken the time to yeah. even do the most basic modicum of listening. The thing is it's actually never been easier to stop being ignorant. <laughs> like yes. Just, like that's yeah. one of the great saving graces of the modern age. Like it's actually just super easy to, you know, shut up for a minute and listen to somebody else's experience. I'm like, just, you know, you have to make a big commitment to changing the way you think, but like just to shut up and listen and not even feel as though you then at the end of it have to say anything, although obviously I've violated that principle by going (laughs) on and on and on about this great book. Um, Anyway, but like in conclusion, um, Georgie is now um, Neighbours' first transgender character. Wow. Which um, – so I've watched a couple of little clips of her. She's a great actor and um, and good on Neighbours too for um, – So is is that referenced in the show or she yeah. just happens to be on Neighbours? No, um, it, it, it's referenced that she is transgender on yeah, Neighbours. Yeah, that she right. is, um, you know, right. Neighbours' first transgender character at the whatever high school it is. You know? Right, right. Yeah. Cool. 
cool. All right, that sounds good. I might read it. Now, given that we delivered everybody a super long episode last time, I reckon we just, just delivered them a in. slightly short episode this time. Pack it in. Um, I will leave you with um, one podcast recommendation, which is um, the latest Unravel podcast, the yeah. AC podcast. Um, this is – look, it's such a um, – you know how like we've got a bit interested in um, uh, bounders and fakes, you know, like oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. hoax partners yep. and so on. Love all so that. So this one is um, – so the um, the Triple J guy, Ollie Wards, has made this whole series about his sister-in-law. Like he's from New Zealand. His brother married this woman called Leslie somebody or other and she turned out to be a con artist, an American con artist. And so the whole series is about him kind of like interviewing his brother, interviewing his family. Like his brother and this woman went into business together and the business went bust and then she disappeared and it turns out that she's had all these other scams around the world. It's completely fascinating Mm. and it is, you know, an investigation of one man into something that really broke his family. Mm. And then when he finally tracks her down in the States, it's quite like fine. <gasps> he tracks her down. Tracks her down. Oh, my God. It's so good. Anyway, okay, it's, really it's really that. good. Yeah. It's called, it's called Snowball. It's called Snowball. Should I just keep like sitting back here and making no, you wrap I'm it up? No, I'm done. I'm zipping it. <laughs> zipping it. Wow. I'm done. It's like we've had a body swap or something. I know. You're welcome.